Genesis 15. Um, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So as I mentioned way at the beginning of service, um, this is uh, Pastor Sam's first week away on sabbatical. Uh, So for the next six months, we'll be uh, blessed with a bunch of guest preachers. Although as far as guest preachers goes, this is uh, one of the most familiar. That's uh, Pastor John. Um, He started Good News over 10 years ago and I think has been pretty much uh, a part of our lives um, here and there. So, for example, like he's my boss. I work at his school. (laughs) So it's, you know, so like, I don't know, fun to see him. Like I see him all the time, but it's great to see him in this context. So he's going to be preaching from Genesis 15 for us. And again, if you're um, able to, let's stick around after church uh, over Zoom and we can kind of catch up then. So uh, Pastor John, feel free to uh, go for it. All right. So it's good seeing everybody. And uh, contrary to what Fred says, I'm not his boss. He's my boss. So I take my orders from him. No, but it's great seeing him. It's also great seeing you all. And it's great seeing Jamil and his family. So it's a, a big reunion. So God and his providence has coordinated this. And a special thanks to Good News Church because uh, Good News gave me a sabbatical and gave me a time to research, recharge and uh, do a little bit of research. So I'm very thankful for that, even after all these years. And I'm sure Sam and his family are very thankful as well. Uh, sometimes ministers need to unplug and uh, do something else, um, spend some time with God and spend some time with family uh, for a prolonged period of time. So let me pray for us, and we'll launch off in today's message, and um, I'll also say a special prayer for Sam because uh, it's the beginning of his sabbatical. So let's pray. Uh, Let's join in prayer then. Gracious Father, we praise you for who you are. Uh, We praise you that you are good, you're faithful, you're unchanging, and you're good to us even though, Lord, um, oftentimes uh, we stray from your path. Uh, We forget your promises, and we live our own lives, and even then you're good. And in an amazing way, you passionately pursue us and you redirect us. You captivate our hearts and you show us the depth of your love. There's forgiveness in you and there's second chances and many more, in fact. We pray, Lord God, for um, our brother Sam uh, and his family as he takes some time off. We pray that this time would be um, an amazing time of renewal, revival, uh, a time of uh, growing in depth in your grace for his family. Uh, We pray that you would lead him every step of the way. Uh, We pray that you would uh, recharge him even physically, um, give him health, Lord God, and may this time be incredibly productive. And we know, Lord God, that when we follow your patterns and the cycles that you've given us in life, uh, there's also blessings for churches. So there's going to be a great lineup of speakers, and we pray that each speaker would deliver uh, your word, uh, the very words that this congregation needs to hear uh, because it comes from you. So we ask that uh, blessings will flow from you, Lord God, and they always do, uh, because Jesus, through the cross and through the resurrection, has procured every spiritual blessing for the people of God. And so we are a people uh, that are wealthy and rich and lack absolutely nothing. So Lord God, week by week, I pray that we would be amazed at the depth 
and the profundity of your grace and your love. So we pray today uh, that as we look at your word from Genesis chapter 15, that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that it would be deeply encouraging uh, for Good News Church uh, to follow you um, in new paths uh, that are rooted in your ancient word. Um, so we pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So thank you, Fred, for reading that passage for us. Um, I thought I was going to read it, but uh, it's great that you read it. And it is a wonderful passage. Um, like Fred said, I work with Fred, so I see him literally uh, five days a week for hours upon hours. So Fred knows what are some of the things that um, I've been meditating on and thinking about and uh, writing about. And so what I want to do today is preach on the topic of imagination. And if you're like me, you probably never heard uh, a message on imagination. Um, and to be completely honest with you, apart from this season, I've never given a message on imagination. But the more I think about it, I think imagination is absolutely essential to our Christian faith. I suspect one of the reasons why preachers don't preach on imagination is because that word is not found too much in the Bible. Uh, but just because a word is not found in the Bible, it doesn't mean the concept is not present. So, for example, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of the Trinity is all over the place. Likewise, the idea of imagination is, I believe, deeply embedded in theology and deeply embedded in our book. Um, and when we um, allow God to shape our imaginations, it's very powerful. And as I've been thinking about imagination and studying about imagination, writing about imagination and preaching about imagination, I've come to three conclusions. And that's what I want to do today. I want to share these three conclusions. It's the fruit of about a year and a half of reflection on the topic of imagination. The first conclusion is this, that the world thinks about imagination far more than the church. Um, and I think one of the reasons why the world um, is getting ahead in capturing people's hearts and minds and lifestyles is because they know that uh, imagination is powerful, it's profound, it shapes people, and so the world thinks about it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think all of us has probably heard and probably even sang, maybe on multiple occasions, John Lennon and Yoko Ono's song uh, about imagination. Here's what the chorus says. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. So I think a lot of music critics will say that this is one of the, the great songs that were written. Uh, people know it. And whenever there is a feel-good moment, uh, this song will come on. Or in the reverse, when things are just kind of bursting at the seams and there's difficulties, they'll sing the song. And it's a song that uh, imagines that there are no boundaries and no wars and no conflicts and no animosity. Um, I don't particularly like the song. I think it's kind of a dreamy. It puts me to sleep. Um, and I think it's unrealistic, but I do appreciate the sentiment behind it because it's really a longing for something better. It's longing for a better future. My simple point is that John Lennon is not the only one talking about imagination. Uh, hundreds of millions of people probably memorize this song. I wonder how many uh, hundreds of thousands of millions of Christians uh, have memorized the Psalms, but certainly this song is very popular. All of this to say, once again, that the world thinks about imagination more than the church. I think Hollywood is a prime example. Um, there was a, a TV show probably 20 years ago uh, called Friends. And if some of you guys know, uh, our brother Wayne, he was, a, he was an extra on Friends for many seasons. And I had to verify this with my own eyes. So I saw a couple of episodes 
and uh, Wayne was was there and he was dressed in a very preppy way. And I was shocked because, as you know, um, he's kind of grungy in the way he dresses. Well, anyway, that was a big hit. And because it was a big hit, I'm sure it touched the imagination and the hearts of people. And all young people, whether you live um, in Indiana, like Jamil or uh, San Francisco or San Antonio, Texas or New Jersey, there are so many people that wanted to move to New York City simply because they watched that show, because they wanted to have friends, they wanted to have experiences. And perhaps some of you moved to New York City in part because of the sitcom Friends. So once again, the world knows the power of imaginations and uses it to its marketing advantage. I'll give you another example. Um, I see Fred not only at, um, at work and at church once in a while, uh, but also in a book club. And it's a, it's a great book club about 12 ministers from around the country. And we intentionally read difficult books. One of the difficult books, I think it was the most difficult book, uh, was um, Jean uh, Baudrillard's book, uh, Simulation and Simulacra. It's a, almost an unreadable book. It's an important book, but it's unreadable because the concepts are so deep. Uh, I am sure uh, that many people know the basic theme of this book, not because they read this book, not because this thinker is popular, but because the Wachowski brothers uh, read this book or heard about this book and created Matrix. So once again, uh, when you watch the movie Matrix, which is a big hit, um, you emanate ideas. Um, and so we see the power of Hollywood and we see that they're latching on to this idea of imagination, it's all over the place. And I think Christians, particularly Christians like I, within this camp, uh, need to really focus on imagination and rediscover it. Uh, because as I look at um, the Reformed tradition in particular, um, if I were to give you a graphic picture of what a Reformed Christian is like, a Reformed Christian is a tadpole. And uh, if you're swimming amongst tadpoles, you don't know that um, this one conspicuous truth that you're pretty much all head. And the head does not stand a, a chance against the imagination and the heart. And so what we need to do as believers, I believe, is to rediscover our imaginations and um, really allow and shape our worldview and shape the contour of our lives. So the first point is that the world um, thinks about imagination, uses imaginations to its advantage far more the believers than the church. Now, the second point about imagination, this is my second conclusion, is that imagination is arguably one of the most powerful forces on earth. Um, let me give you an example of this as well. A couple of examples, in fact. Um, I'm sure everyone in this Zoom room um, knows Elon Musk. Um, Elon Musk um, is a game changer, and one day he had an idea, and that idea was, I'm going to build a car that's completely electric, and it's going to be better than every other car on the market. In fact, it's going to be the greatest car in the history of cars. I'm going to reinvent the car, and people might have thought he was a little insane because he does say a lot of things that are off-putting and crazy, um, but he created Tesla is a huge company and many people love Tesla and it is a game changer and all other manufacturers are now trying to follow Tesla and Tesla is taking the lead. Um, Elon Musk at that point says, you know what, uh, Earth is not, um, is, is too little for me. Uh, what I do is I want to explore space. In fact, at one point he sold all his personal belongings because you really can't take it to space with you. And so he created SpaceX. 
And SpaceX now rivals um, international governments. Can you believe a person that says, I'm going to explore space, I'm going to build a spaceship, I'm going to do some rocket technology, and I'm going to be better than um, nations, sovereign nations in this area as a private citizen, and he was able to do it, and he's doing it even now. Now, in an interview, in fact, several interviews, people asked Elon Musk, uh, what, what's the power that, uh, that behind all this? How are you able to do all this? And Elon Musk basically said two things, and I think um, it's worth listening to. Um, he says, number one, I know how to take risks. Number two, I use my imagination. So imagination and risks, um, taking risks, are the, the twin, um, the twin uh, uh, pillars of his success. Now, if you think about it from a theological perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Because um, the great John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard, uh, if you ask him what is faith and how do you spell faith, he would always say that you spell faith R-I-S-K taking a risk. So if you think about it, Elon Musk, without even knowing by God's common grace, has really tapped into a spiritual principle. Uh, take risks, take a step of faith, and also the idea of imagination, seeing that which is unseen, uh, which is also tied to the idea of faith. And so we see the sheer power of imagination in a person like Elon Musk. Let me make it a little more personal. Some of you guys know that when I was younger, I used to love wrestling. Um, so let me tell you how it all began. It all began when I was um, 14 years old. Um, and I went to a tournament. And in this tournament, um, at the end of my freshman year, it was called the Districts. And it was a district final. And it was a gym of probably about 1,500 to 2,000 people, which is a lot of people. It was the biggest high school in our area. It was packed. And it was incredibly electric and powerful. And as the finalists uh, were about to come out to shake hands, uh, there was a tradition. And in that tradition, um, one light at a time would turn off in the gymnasium. And it would get dimmer and dimmer until the final light is turned off, then it's completely pitch black. And as each light is going off, uh, people are stomping their feet on the ble uh, bleachers. They're clapping their hands. And people who are by the radiators are banging the radiators. So the noise uh, is absolutely amazing. And when that final light um, goes off, people are screaming, stomping, banging, clapping. And then um, a spotlight comes out in the middle and four lights at the side. And because the wrestling mat is red, the whole room turns red and the atmosphere changes. When I saw that as a 14-year-old, I was like, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. And I told myself, I'm going to win this tournament before I graduate high school. And so the very next day, I asked my dad, dad, you have to give me $30 every month. I'm going to join a gym. It's called a fitness factory. I worked out two to three hours every day, six days a week for three years, nonstop, probably missed less than five times um, in, those, uh, in that time period. And if you ask the question, what made a 14-year-old boy do that? Well, his imagination was captured. Uh, my imaginations were firing on every piston because I saw that and I wanted it. Um, recently, I read a book by this fellow by the name of Lawrence uh, uh, Thornton, and it's called Imagining Argentina. Uh, this is another example. And it's, um, it's actually a really good book. It's about the military dictatorship of Argentina from 1976 to 1983. 
Um, and I had to do a little research because I didn't know whether this book was uh, factual or not. But it is factual that there was uh, a military takeover by generals. And during that time, uh, many, many people went missing because they were dissenters of the government and they were tortured and killed. So this is what the book is about. Pretty dark stuff. Um, in this book, the protagonist, his name is Carlos Ruenda, and um, he is a playwright and he runs a child, a children's theater. And there's also a movie. So if you want to if you want to skip the uh, book and read the movie, uh, you can watch it. And the great Antonio Banderas. Uh, he's the person who plays uh, Carlos Ruenda. It's actually a decent movie. And in that movie, Carlos realizes that he has a gift. He's able to see all the people that have been abducted. He doesn't know this, uh, but he's able to see it and he discerns that he has this incredible gift. Um, and he starts sharing it with people and the mothers of uh, the abducted sons and daughters would come to his house because his reputation has grown. And in his garden backyard, he would take their hands and goes, tell me a little bit about your son. And he would say, I see your son. He, he has been taken on this day. He was wearing this. And his predictions or his visions are so precise that even the most skeptical people begin to believe. At one point in the book, um, his wife is taken and his daughter is taken and he's frantically searching for them. And in uh, a moment of despair, uh, he comes to a conclusion. Uh, that conclusion is my imagination is keeping them alive. Now the book doesn't say that that is true, but I think there is a theological point there that is very important, that imagination shapes the world around us. Here's an example. Um, when I'm at school, um, hanging out with Fred, um, I look out his homeroom and I see a 20-story brick building. Before that 20-story brick building was made, it was in someone's mind. It might have been an architectural plan. And in the committee, they talked about it and they decided to build it um, on um, 90th Street. Now, if I look to the left, to, to the right and look across the street, three playgrounds dot that building monkey bars, swings, um, and all sorts of other things for children. At one point, those things were not there. It was only in a person's mind. And in that person's mind, they saw um, children on the monkey bar. They saw children running up and down. They saw children playing basketball on the Upper West. All of this is to say, at one point, it was pure imagination. But in time, what has taken place is that they actually built it. And so we can see it, we can feel it, we can touch it. And therefore we can say that imagination is not only powerful, but it is creative. And that's exactly what scripture says as well. Remember the prologue to the gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and all things came into creation through that word. So that word spoke things into existence. And therefore we can say what was in the mind of God was spoken and it came to be. There's a connection there. And we see that in our lives. We see that in our city. And we see that all around our world, underlining the power of imagination. And this is why the church is going to be impoverished when it doesn't have this understanding and discourse of imagination. We need to hone our imaginations for the glory of God. And this is where our text um, really comes in. Um, because when we look at our text, uh, we see this fellow by the name of Abram. Um, later on, he's known as Abraham, of course, and um, I'll probably just call him Abraham 
by what he is called later. Uh, at this point, Abraham is afraid. The reason why he's afraid, in chapter 14, he's um, fought these kings, a group of kings, because they've taken his nephew Lot. And um, he finally does save his nep nephew Lot because he fights on a place called the Plain of Ono with uh, like 314 or 16 men. So it's a, it's a pretty sizable military conflict. He, he wins. And he's back now with his son, uh, with his nephew Lot. And there's two things that are rushing through his mind. And because God is sovereign and knows all things, and he, is, but he addresses these two very things. Now, if you just fought a group of kings, your first thought is going to be, there's going to be a reprisal attack. Uh, they're not going to stand still. They're going to come back, and they're going to bring more people, more soldiers, more equipment, and they're going to attack me. And so there is fear in Abraham's heart. The second thing that he's thinking about is this. Um, he just saved his nephew, Lot. That's a pointed reminder that he doesn't have a son. And this is why he says, there's this guy, Eliezer of Damascus, he's going to be my heir. And God says, no, that is not going to be your heir. And what does God do in this passage? He does two things. He addresses the very two concerns that are uppermost in Abraham's heart and mind. He says, number one, I am your shield. That's the very thing that he needed to hear, that um, Abraham is going to be protected by God himself. God is going to be his great shield. It's sort of like the uh, prophet Zechariah uh, speaking to a beleaguered community, building the, the wall and the temple, saying, I'm going to be uh, a wall of fire around you. So God will be that wall of fire around the builders. And likewise, God is going to be the shield for Abraham. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know what? Yeah, I see Eliezer of Damascus, but he's not going to be your heir. There's going to be someone that comes from your own flesh. Your wife, Sarah, though advanced in years and old and beyond the years of childbearing, she's going to give you a son, and that is going to be your heir. And so God gives this wonderful promise. So he's confirming the promises of God once again, and he gives him a visual. This is where the imagination comes in. He says, look up at the stars, count them if you can. Um, and I'm sure at that moment, uh, without streetlights, without buildings, without artificial lighting, Abraham is looking up and he's seeing stars innumerable, countless. He can't count them. And God is saying, your descendants would be greater than that. And so God taps into the imagination of Abraham. And Abraham begins to believe. And within him, faith begins to swell. And with that faith swelling, it turns into the completion of faith, which is really obedience. And when we look at a commentary of this episode um, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what happens. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in the Book of Romans concerning this episode. The Apostle Paul, inspired by God, says these words, against all hope. So Abraham knew that it was hopeless. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Um, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So if you think about it, the Apostle Paul is being completely realistic. He's saying that Abraham knew certain things. He knew that uh, his wife's uh, womb was good as dead. He realized that he was far advanced and she was far advanced. And 
what's going to happen would be a complete miracle. And yet he still chose to believe. And he did it against hope. He hoped um, against a lack of evidence. He believed and he was fully persuaded at one point that God had the power to do what he had promised. And I believe one of the reasons why um, Abraham was able to do that is because God gave him a visual. Um, his imagination was touched and he saw the stars, he saw the galaxies, and he realized that God created them, that God was powerful, that God was able to do far more than he could ever imagine or think or comprehend. And so he grew strong in his faith and he continued to believe. So imagination based upon the word of God fires faith and faith exercised, I believe, strengthens imagination. And that gives birth to something beautiful, something powerful as we obey. And there will be inevitably an amazing harvest that God has in store for his people. But our imaginations need to be captured by the word of God. Now, let me give you a little caveat here. I'm not talking about imagination that is completely untethered to God's word. In fact, if you do a, um, a Google search, a word search in the NIV, um, the word imagination, you'll probably find three or four references and all of them have a negative connotation. So the word is used in um, the English Bible, at least the NIV translation. And it's a, a type of imagination that is untethered to God's truth. But when you look at the main of scripture, uh, especially prophetic literature, the ability to see things unseen, then that is the use of imagination. But the, the essential point there, it is a type of imagination that is tethered to God's word. So in other words, it's grounded in God's word. It's shaped by God's word. It's motivated by God's word. It's propelled by God's word. And that's when I think Christians have great power. Now, what ought we to do in view of these conclusions? What ought we to do in view of Genesis chapter 15? This brings me to... Uh, one of the best articles that I've read on the authority of scripture by N.T. Wright, the great New Testament professor. Now, I'm not going to talk about the authority of scripture. I'm going to take his illustration and I'm going to use it for different purposes to talk about um, tethering our imaginations to God's word and living by faith. Well, in his article entitled, How Can the Bible Be Authoritative? He talks about a Shakespearean play. And uh, this Shakespearean play, he argues hypothetically, um, it, this, is, this is all imaginative. Um, he says, imagine that a new Shakespearean play was found um, and scholars conjecture, this is the best Shakespearean play that we have, better than anything that Shakespeare wrote and um, a better, veritable masterpiece. But there's one problem. That one problem is the final um, scene is missing. And so we don't know how it concludes. Uh, it's brilliant, but we don't know how it concludes. And N.T. Wright says, well, there is a solution to this. You get the best Shakespearean actors who have memorized this play, uh, know the, the uh, Shakespearean corpus, who have acted out all the Shakespearean play, plays, and they put on this play. And when the final scene comes, what they do is they ad lib. They just go for it. And because they're close to the spirit of Shakespeare, they'll get pretty close to the ending. I think there's uh, really good insight there. And that great insight is we are supposed to be saturated in God's word, saturated in the principles of scripture, saturated in the, the aim of scripture, which is the death and resurrection of Christ and world missions. Uh, we soak ourselves in that. We bathe ourselves in that. We're drenched with that. And then we do in the world. 
we go out in faith and we live our lives. And once that happens, there's going to be power. Uh, there's going to be the use of our imaginations because we're tethered to God's word. And this is where the insight of another scholar comes in, and that's Walter Brueggemann. And um, I've been raving about Walter Brueggemann to uh, a lot of people. And um, he wrote two great books. Um, I've heard a lot of books, but these are the two books that I've read, uh, The Prophetic Imagination and Hopeful Imagination. And his basic thesis is simple. Let me just summarize that for you by way of conclusion. And then I'll just uh, exhort um, all of us to give our imaginations over to the Lord. And in this book, he basically says that under the kings, um, something developed. And that is called royal consciousness. And it happened during the time of Solomon. And um, the more and more I think about Solomon, you know, Solomon should have known so much better. Um, he was not a great king. Uh, his heart was led astray. He was the wisest, but he was certainly not the most obedient. He was very disobedient to the Lord. And after his reign, a lot of dissension was sown and the kingdom was divided into the north and in the south. One scholar even calls um, Israel Canaanized. So we see the canonization of Israel under Solomon, or at least the seeds of it are there. And Walter Brueggemann argues then that the people lost its ability to imagine. They, they could only picture a world that was spun by royal consciousness. Uh, they could only picture a world that was spun by Solomon and his desires. And therefore you need the prophets because the prophets are able to see things that are unseen. The prophets are the spokespersons of God and therefore they're tethered to God's word and they know the power of God's word. And because of that, the power of God's word can cut through royal consciousness or any hegemonic um, idea in our world. And if you think about our world today, I, I think Brueggemann has a point. Those in power want to keep power, and therefore they spin um, an ideology where we can't imagine. So I wonder if the church has forgotten its power to imagine. And if you think about it, children can imagine, but when we become adults, our imaginations are dulled. But what the prophets do and the prophetic literature does is give us the ability to see things unseen because we believe in God's word rather than what uh, CNN or any other news channel tells us. And we're able then to see God working in our lives. And therefore, our imaginations once again become alive. And we're able to see things from God's perspective. And we're able, therefore, to carry through and follow through. And when that happens, there will be tremendous power. Now, here's the good news of the gospel, because all of this really climaxes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, because Genesis 15 really points forward to, to Christ, who will be the, the ultimate heir, who will be the, the second Adam, uh, the promised descendant, the new Israel, um, all of the above. And it's through him and faith through him that uh, the promise of Genesis chapter 15 becomes actualized because when Abraham saw those stars, he saw people like you and me because we are descendants of Abraham because we, like him, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we see that climax in the Lord Jesus then. And what Christ has done for us, believe it or not, is this. He's given us the mantle to be prophets if we will receive. So I would say that every single person in this room has a prophetic anointing from God because you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, you're able to see things unseen because you're able to imagine things based upon the word of God. 
And when you step out in faith and you do, there will be power and you will be a tremendous blessing because you're united to Christ. That's who you are. Uh, that's what uh, happens when we follow the things of God. So um, I want to be realistic. It's going to be tough. The older we get, um, the less imagination that we have. Uh, we can only see those things before us. But I pray that by God's spirit, that we would give our imaginations over to the Lord and reimagine this world um, for the sake of the glory of Christ. Uh, but also for the sake of your children and your children's children. We have to, this is the hour we have to imagine um, a better world because the inbreaking of the kingdom. Let me, let me close with this one little um, uh, story that um, it's kind of connected, not completely connected, but it's a good story and it'll make a point. Um, yesterday, um, I drove to Princeton, New Jersey, um, specifically for one reason, and that is to hear the singing of the cicadas. Um, it's Brood X, uh, the 17-year cicada. Uh, 17 years ago, I was uh, sitting at a coffee shop in Princeton um, reading Cicero, and it was a good memory. And I can't believe that um, that was 17 years ago when I was younger and lighter. 17 years before that, um, the great uh, singer, Bob Dylan, received a uh, honorary doctorate in music. And he wrote a song about the cicadas singing because they were so loud, it drowned out the voices of all the people on stage. And I think there's something really prophetic and poetic about that. When hundreds of millions of Christians join their imaginations and sing their imaginations as they're tethered to God's word, we have the opportunity to drown out the voices of the evil one in our world. And we're able to create a better world um, that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done. And we can proclaim his love to all, to the nations, um, if we give our imaginations over to the Lord. Um, if we don't, um, I suspect that we will have average Christian lives. Uh, but I pray that Good News Church would not have an average Christian life, but an extraordinary one, because they've given over their hearts and minds, the totality of who they are, to Christ, who loves us and who is powerful. Um, so let me close with that. Let's bow our heads in, in a moment, moment of prayer. And uh, maybe um, Peter, our, our, our great worship leader, it's good, always good to see him uh, leading worship, maybe just for a minute. And then I'm going to close this in prayer after a minute. And I'm going to pray that uh, you would receive that prophetic mantle, um, because this is who you are, and that you would use your imaginations for the glory of God.
Let's just continue to pray and ask God as Peter plays that we would have the, the courage to ask God to give us that prophetic mantle to give our imaginations over to him. I think if you sincerely ask that uh, God would fire your imaginations for his glory, that he will honor that. The first step is to want it and ask for it. Gracious Father, we pray for um, Good News Church, all those hearts that um, have responded to you, Lord God, that want uh, this prophetic mantle to grow, that they would be able to see things unseen and speak your words uh, to family, friends, the world, the nations. I pray that you would honor them, Lord God, and that they would be able to see um, things that are alternate to the, uh, the power structures that be that they would be able to see their neighborhoods, their churches, their world uh, in a way that is more consistent with your word. Bind their hearts to you, Lord God. Bind their imaginations to you and set them free to bless this world for Jesus' sake. And in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>